0: Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you or maybe your company or someone in your network that you know may wanna reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie@mission.org, and let's chat.
1: You have to understand what customers want. That's the first step in any real loyalty program, whether you're launching a loyalty program or enhancing a loyalty program, or just completely transforming a loyalty program. You have to understand research, what customers want. You have to look at the data and understand what they actually do. So it's the, this is what I say I want, and then this is what I actually do. And you really have to be a data scientist and understand what it is that is bubbling to the top.
2: Brand loyalty is something that every company wants, but few actually attain. To build a loyal customer base, you need to provide the best experiences possible, offer unique products or services, and deliver on quality and in a timely fashion. It's a tough ask, and for those in the grocery industry, it's even more difficult since differentiation between product selection is not as easy as it might be in other verticals. But when it comes to customer loyalty, there are ways to separate yourself from the pack. And that's where Rachel Stevens comes in. As the vice president of marketing digital and loyalty for Stop & Shop, a major grocery chain with more than 400 stores, she thinks about this every day. Thanks to a new online platform and through a loyalty program that customers actually want to engage in, Rachel explains that Stop & Shop is finally gaining access to some of the dark data it couldn't access in the past. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Rachel explains why that kind of data is a true game changer for any brand. Plus, she reveals some of the consumer psychology that she looks at when building loyalty programs, and she peers into the future at how the use of AI, machine learning, and natural language processing will further advance not just Stop and Shop's e-commerce experience, but the entire e-commerce industry. Enjoy this episode. Up next in
0: commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com commerce. Hi everyone, it's Stephanie. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder of mission.org. Today, we have Rachel Stevens on the show, the Vice President of Marketing, Digital, and Loyalty at Stop and Shop. Rachel, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I saw a little bit of your background before hopping on here. And I got very excited when I saw that you have worked at the TJX companies, which I was hoping we could kind of start there with your background.
1: Yeah, are you a brand
0: fan? Oh yes, I mean I love TJ Maxx. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is my this is my interview. This is the one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was actually um, the uh, um, assistant vice president, um, you know, of CRM loyalty, uh, you know, within TJX, and that really meant the TJX Rewards program um, was a program that fell under my group. And my responsibilities included, you know, the the database and ensuring that our customers um, really wanted to participate in our program, our loyalty program, so that we had clean data at the end of the day. Um, and we were able to provide um, additional value in savings um, on top of what customers were already saving the so with the strong value that TJX stores provide. Very cool. So how did you first get interested in the world
0: of loyalty marketing? Um, like what led you there?
1: So I started actually in loyalty marketing at PetSmart in their corporate headquarters in Phoenix. And um, I think the thing that really appealed to me was the marriage of um, data and customer communication. So understanding what customers say and what customers actually do is, is vital to, I think, the success of an organization because customers can say, you know, yes, I have intent to purchase XYZ. But when you look at the actual data, the data doesn't lie. So loyalty programs give you a vital tool for success within your organization um, to take a look at consumer data and then apply your marketing tactics, um, really that are either you know from acquisition, retention, uh, or reactivation perspective, based on what that consumer is doing in a particular uh, moment. So it's really um, such a great marriage, um, you know, of of a lot of different areas um, within marketing, and it just is. Um, was something that I, I developed an immediate passion for. So uh, when I started there on the Pet Perks program, and then went to TJX, you know, to uh, work on the loyalty program for TJ Maxx, Marshalls, Home Goods, and Sierra Trading Post and HomeSense. Um, you know, I really, I feel like it, when I was there, honed in on my skills uh, within the the loyalty space. So the the position at Stop and Shop to really develop the role and develop what the new program was going to look like was incredibly appealing just because of my passion for, for this space and, you know, and for retail.
0: Yeah, that's so much good experience to be able to bring to Stop and Shop. How have you seen consumer behaviors or loyalty programs having to change since you started? Since I started in loyalty or since I started at Stop and Shop? I'd say in loyalty program, like in loyalty overall, since you started back in the pet's days.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, there was there was a transactional nature to loyalty programs in the past. I think it was, you know, you give and get. um, And that is usually based in uh, points programs, um, whereas today, obviously, I think more experiential programs have have come about. And, um, you know, providing more omni-channel experience, which wasn't really the case back when I first started within the loyalty space. Um, You know, I'd say that. There's a number of um, people that really do a great job at this. I think Sephora's loyalty program is, is top-notch. Um, they do an excellent job at um, marrying, you know, the the in-store and the online experience, really making it truly omnichannel, channel um, tied in with their loyalty program. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of retailers have caught up mm-hmm. and are doing mm-hmm. a good job, and I still think there's there's a lot of room to go. And I think Grocery retail was sort of stuck in the loyalty stage of of two-tier pricing. And I think we have to model grocery loyalty programs more um, after what a lot of other retailers are doing in in the loyalty space. And and even hotels, airlines, you know, I think that um, soft benefits and providing experiential benefits are really critical to the success of a program.
0: Yep. Yeah, completely agree. So now that we're touching on grocery a bit, I would love for you to explain what stop and shop is for anyone who doesn't know.
1: Your stop and shop is actually a grocery retailer with over 100 years you know, in, the, in the industry. It started out um, you know, as a very small grocer in the East Coast. And now we have over 400 stores. Um, and of course, our online experience at stopandshop.com and the stop and shop app. That's great. And stop and shop, you guys just started moving into
0: e-commerce, right? I think I saw that you launched a new platform just in a couple months ago. Am I
1: right? We did actually on July 28th. In fact, we launched. Um, we we had Peapod. It was a partner company. Peapod is actually was owned by Ahol Delhaze, which is the parent company that owns Stop and Shop. Mm-hmm. And um, we have integrated Peapod into Stop and Shop now. So um, within Stop and Shop's footprint, to order uh, grocery delivery or to get pickup, you actually now go to the Stop and Shop website or the Stop and Shop app versus Peapod. So. That integration, um, you know, occurred again at the end of July, and it's been going incredibly well so far.
0: Yeah. so, So what was that transition? Like, what did that look like behind the scenes of not only integrating a current app that people were using, but also I'm sure adding on additional functionalities that maybe weren't already there? What was the process behind the scenes or any maybe hiccups that you guys experienced when you were going through all this? Because it sounds like a big project.
1: Yes. Yes. In fact, huge project. Um, and all of our, um, our sister brands went through the same group of work at the same time. So we work with um, you know an internal um, agency who actually is responsible for all of that development work. And the agency actually um, had to develop the platform for all the brands. So there was um, Giant Martins out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and Giant Foods in Maryland you know, went through the same transition. And there was, you know, obviously, it requires a lot of work um, to marry the database, um, you know, really marry those platforms. So, there was a Stop and shop website, a Peapod website, and um, each brand's app. So, marrying those together was a huge, enormous undertaking that has taken uh, approximately two years. And when I first started two and a half years ago, actually, that was really when we had worked on all the business requirements for this project, and it you know it just takes a significant amount of time to match up all of the the data on our customers, you know, and combine those platforms and ensure that everything is running smoothly. Because if you think about the number of transactions um, that the POG site, you know, had going through it before, and the number of um, customers that were going to the Stop and Shop site, you can imagine that it was just there's just a tremendous amount. Of Of customers that we wanted to ensure, um, you know, we're not left behind in this transition. So there's definitely a lot of work that went into this project. And and in terms of hiccups, of course, there was a lot of those. (laughs) But I think, you know, you sort of try and block out all of the the things that went wrong during the launch, and you just only remember the good, right?
0: (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that's great. And I'm also very familiar with Giants brand. I'm from Maryland. So I'm sure everyone else is like, what's that? I know very well what that is. That was in my hometown. Oh, great. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. So when you guys were thinking about launching this new e-commerce platform, what kind of opportunities were you excited that it would open up? Like, I'm sure, you know, you get access to new kinds of data and you can have new offerings and you can, you know, send that data maybe to your other partners and maybe they can give you deals. Like, what things were you most excited about that you didn't have access to before?
1: I think that what I'm I'm most excited about, um, you know, is, the, uh, is omni-channel data access. You know, we did not, again, have that before because it was Peapod who really had all of the data um, for delivery and pickup and Stop and Shop who had all of the brick and mortar um, data. So the combination and, and looking at a consumer from an omni-channel perspective, you know, to me is what's most exciting. If I'm gonna, you know, do a marketing campaign um, using either digital tactics or you know any any other sort of in-store tactics, I really need to know what you do as a customer. You know, you could channel switch, you could go from pickup to in-store, you know, to delivery, all within a very short period of time. And so, I think the um, efficiency in marketing by having that data to me is really what's what's most exciting, and being able to actually accurately talk to our customers. Um, you know, is, is something that really interests me because how many times have you received communications from, you know, a company where you're like, wait, I was just in there. I just bought XYZ and now they're sending me, you know, an offer for something or, you know, the communication just seems out of left field. And, you know, I think of years past when Starbucks didn't really have a fully integrated data solution. You know, if I was a coffee drinker, and I always drank coffee, you know, every once in a while i get tea offers and, you know, it just didn't make any sense to me. I think it was just yep. bad use of data.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I still get that right now. I'll get things um, marketed to me around pregnancy. I'm like, I am not pregnant and haven't been I'm not pregnant. for a while. <laughs> like, come on, no, six months ago, stop that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. So what are you excited about for Omni Channel in general, outside of Stop and Shop? Like, what do you think that landscape's
1: going to look like in the next couple of years? I think that covid has certainly advanced a lot of you know specifically in retail advanced advanced a lot of retailers i think their their technology and and their, you know their their offerings i think you know omnichannel to me you know has to be you know it has to be just a, that seamless experience in store online um you know and it has to be being able to look at you from a customer lens and understanding that you may channel switch and your experience or the offers that you're given or, um, you know, your customer service shouldn't change. There shouldn't be anything remarkably different about whatever channel you're in. So for me, I think that, you know, the omni-channel landscape is going to continue improving and COVID has definitely advanced that.
0: Yep. So to dive back into the loyalty program conversation because I'm very interested in that. We haven't had a ton of people on the show who've talked about that, so I'll probably keep circling around that for a little bit. sure. I want to hear how you think about developing a successful loyalty program now. Like how do you get people to engage? How do you get them to be excited about it?
1: Well, the, the most important thing is research. You have to understand what customers want first and foremost, of course. So you know that's the first step in any any real loyalty program whether you're launching a loyalty program or you're enhancing a loyalty program or just completely um, transforming a loyalty program, you have to understand what research, you know, what customers want. You have to look at the data and understand what they actually do. So it's the, this is what I, this is what I say I want. And then this is what I actually do. Um, And you really have to um, be a data scientist and understand what it is that is bubbling to the top. So if I know my top customers are coming in and I'm looking at the data that tells me they come in x amount of times per week and they shop for key products, then you know, I can actually um, I can understand, you know, and I can, I can translate that back into transactional um, offers. I can say, okay, these are the top products that I need to make sure are relevant to that consumer base on, on a regular basis. But it doesn't get at you know really what drives them and motivates them to be loyal to the brand. So I think that that research is such a critical step um, in really understanding how consumers really feel about your brand. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be the brand that customers just feel like they uh, you're on the corner and you're convenient, so they have to shop you. You want to be the brand that they want to shop at. So, you know, loyalty isn't just about the program. It has to be about the total solution um, that a retailer provides and, you know, your feelings about that retailer. Yep.
0: It seems like there would be a lot of dark data out there, especially for maybe uh, grocery stores, because I'm thinking like, would my local grocery store even know that I go in and out because I don't interact with them online right now. I sometimes put my phone number in, sometimes don't. Like, how would you make sure you have a good sample size of people to use for your research when building that out if maybe you still have quite a few of your customers that you don't even know yet?
1: No, I think that's a great question. I think, you you know, you have to... um... There are panels that you can go to who are, you know, usually your your consumer insights team has access to panels of customers who volunteer to participate in research studies. So um, that's typically the first place that I go if we don't have enough data within the database. Um, if there's enough data in the database to start with, um, you know, usually that does require an email address or physical mail or mailing address and not just phone number. So if your local grocery store only requires phone number, and I'll say, stop and shop actually that was the case for stop and shop prior to um, the transformation of our new loyalty program, where you know we really just asked for phone number at the point of sale, and that gave customers access to that two-tier pricing. That doesn't do anything for a company just having phone numbers and actually going to build up your database, of course, so then you don't have a way to really round out that customer experience and you know understand it, you know be able to tap into that customer and ask them what they want. Mm-hmm. It is really important that you're you're coming up with a program, or if you have a program that it's enticing enough that customers want to give their data. They want to give you the right email address or they want to give you the right mailing address so that, you know, they they do participate um, in the program, but they also are willing to give you, you know you their opinion when you ask it. Yep. It also seems like making sure that you have a
0: seamless experience when asking for that data is really important because I can think of the number of times different stores have been like, Oh, can you type in your email or just like read it off to me and I'll type it in very slowly. And I'm like, Oh, just don't worry about it. Or I don't want to use your old type pad. That's like not really
1: working. And I'm going to have to delete it like 10 times to get it right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you absolutely you're absolutely right. It has to be simple, seamless. I think, you know, a digital cards is a great way to make it simple and seamless. It's easy enough for a POS to scan a digital barcode um, that ties back to your loyalty card or phone number, provided the fact that the number actually is tied to a valid email address or a valid mailing address. Mm-hmm. Any way that you can provide convenience for consumers to access their program um, you know, seamlessly, quickly is is really important. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. So when
0: you're setting this up, even if you don't have access to maybe huge amounts of data. Are there any unifying themes that people just generally like when it comes to loyalty or rewards programs where you're like, no matter where I've been, every, it seems to always get someone to sign up if we have this or this offering?
1: Well, I think a base program, it has to be about savings, yeah. right? So um, every program is is at, at its core about savings. So hotel, airline, you know, you're getting, you're earning points to get free something mm-hmm. or to save on something. Um, and so at its core, you have to have a savings you know, in the value proposition. And then I think everything else that goes on top of that, whether you have a tiered program um, where you're providing your top tier customers with more of those experiential benefits or more of those softer benefits, you know, is really, it's dependent on the industry and, and, you know, your ability to um, provide different levels of benefits to customers. I think, you know, in the, in the supermarket industry, you don't see a lot of tiered programs, um, you know, I think that that's mostly because there's not a lot of experiential, you know, benefits that you can provide that consumers really are interested in. I think a lot of a lot of customers look at grocery shopping as a chore. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a core of customers who really enjoy it, but for the most part, a lot of busy consumers today um, do look at it as a chore, and I think that lingering in the store is not something that a lot of people are really interested in.
0: Yep, yeah, I completely agree. Is there any? research that you all have done when it comes to what really matters from a savings perspective, like what percent actually drive someone to purchase something they maybe wouldn't have purchased prior to seeing that savings? Like maybe like 5%, eh, maybe not 20%, probably so like anything that you've seen
1: around that. Yeah. I mean, there's actually, you know, it's funny that, um, the higher up you go in savings, a lot of times customers say they don't believe that, oh, you know, when yeah. you say like save, uh, you know, 20% or 25% or whatever. It seems somewhat unbelievable. And I think a lot of customers question it. Yep. You know, with our Go Rewards program, um, we actually know that customers save 15% or more. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of research because the and more was actually, the savings is more like an average of 20%. But customers really kind of felt like, that seems high. Yeah. That seems really unbelievable. So, you know, 15%, we were like, okay, let's just take that down. You know, because that seemed to be a more um, palatable Percent for customers for some reason. Uh, that's really interesting. That's Isn't a it point I know. too.
0: I mean, when you see like these shopping sites when it's like seventy five percent off, it actually makes you just kind of one be like, well, was it ever worth the price that you listed it at? And then are you going to go to ninety percent off? So I do question yeah. brands that have huge sales like that more than I do with someone who's consistently like you get fifteen or twenty percent off. You know, no matter what promo code or coupon or anything that you get, it's never going to be
1: higher than that. Right. Yeah. You start to question the quality and you say, oh, geez, you know, I mean, I'm sure the average consumer doesn't think in terms of margin, but then I start thinking about margin. I oh, do too. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like minds, very like minds. I do too. I'm right. like, hmm, how much were they making before this? Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great. So how do you think about metrics when it comes to these loyalty programs? Are they unique um, and very different than maybe metrics- for other e-commerce businesses or other
1: programs that you might set up, well, I think you know first and foremost, most 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 companies will look at um, sales as a huge metric within their loyalty program because it's an investment for the for the organization. So ROI is going to be important, but the ROI actually comes from retention, and um, you know, in, in some cases, reactivation. You know, you know that uh, a lot of times. It's true, the cost of getting, um, you know, a customer is equivalent to retaining eight. So I think if you can look at most, most organizations look at sales from the program and incremental sales from the program, I think that that is the real true metric, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, engagement, of course, is also important um, and customer satisfaction is is vital.
0: Yep. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Are there any um, memorable campaigns that come to mind? You're like, this m- was my favorite marketing or any other kind of campaign that I've done that you want to share? So I'm always interested in stories around that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that, you know, the, I, I've worked on so many great campaigns, but I, I, you know, the ones that are truly fully integrated across every channel is that's what's really exciting. You know, when you see, for example, right now, um, this might sound, you know, silly or small, but we have this pizza campaign. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a commercial. On air about you know the best pizza is your own pizza and you know we've got that campaign in every other channel so digital email social media through my Go Rewards program you know we've got earn extra points when you buy certain um, products within the the category you know that's really what excites me is I think when you see it come to life and you see really the the full ecosystem within marketing utilized to support something that's when you really see the power of marketing come to life. And you know how it, it actually makes sense, obviously, to, you know, to have one point of view and to be more um, customer centric in your campaigns.
0: Yeah, it seems like a better way to measure things as well. If you're like, there's this one initiative going across many channels, and you can look at it uh, without having a bunch of other players kind of messing the data. Up.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. I see some marketing campaigns right now and and i I'll be honestly, you, you know, there's some some big players out there that did all of these back to school campaigns mm-hmm. and it drove me nuts because yeah. it was like, we are not back in it, you know, and it showed all the kids walking down the hall. And of course, yeah. you know, I know that they had all these <laughs> these commercials, um, you know, shot in the can well before a lot of this happened. But I feel like God, you're just, you're talking to, you know, a, 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 a consumer base that is in a very different place right now. Mm-hmm. So you know, mm-hmm. I think that obviously understanding what consumers are looking for, um, you know, and really being relevant, yeah, like that pizza campaign. You know, there's so many people who are at home cooking together right now. You know, I feel like that's really where you know I get most excited is when I see obviously that relevance, and then more of that omni-channel and cross-channel campaign. I think that that's really where you see some good results from marketing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point about people still running their commercials that they may be shot. A long time ago. I mean, the only one that I think has done really well in my mind that I've seen recently is either Trader Joe's or Target that had um, like grab your back to school supplies. And it was like at a wine rack. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's good. That's relevant. And I'm going to get some wine now.
1: <laughs> that's perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really good. We, we had someone on the show who um, was also mentioning like you should have different scenarios, especially in a time right now where, you know, things, you don't really know what's going to happen and you should be ready to pull your campaigns and slot something in really quickly. And it seems like a lot of um, larger brands or especially older brands just didn't think that way, or maybe just, you know, thought, okay, let's just release this and see how it goes anyways. Like, why do you think that's the case? Why did they still put this out into the world when many of them probably knew it was not a good fit?
1: No. And I think it does more harm to your brand than anything, to be honest, because obviously if you're not relevant you' know you're not listening to what's going on in the world, then you know, I think that it it does more harm. You know, in the beginning of um, of Covid, we did a lot of work around providing at home solutions. You know, we had a we had a chef who actually did a cooking show um, within social media. I worked with the chef to come up with a series of cooking shows within Facebook, and we did a number of other, you know, just activities to do with the kids at home. I mean, they were just, there was more relevance to our campaigns, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it really resonated. You know, I think customers really appreciated the fact that we were giving them content that actually was um, valuable, interesting, um, and just relevant to what was going on in the world. You can't be deaf to what's, what's happening and you have to really just make sure, you know, you're always paying attention and listening to what customers are saying.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So... Earlier, you were talking about the pizza campaign and how you put it on, you know, many many channels. Which channels are you finding are most successful, or are there any new ones that you're experimenting with that you're finding some early success in?
1: I think that you know, yeah, we we do a lot within social media, and I think that the channels in social media that we're finding some early success in would be next door, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and TikTok to some degree. You know, I think uh, with TikTok's future still sort of um, unclear. Uh, we haven't done a whole lot there, but I think that um, the brands that have been on TikTok and have done some really good work have seen some great results. And I think, you know, the social media channels are probably the ones that give me, um, you know, the most uh, excitement because I think there's, there's such a great way, you know, we're working towards integrating commerce into social media. That's, a, that's a big project that um, my team is working on right now. And, you know, there's, it's such a great way to capture an audience when they're in their downtime, Mm -hmm. they're in a, in a different kind of mindset and they're more open to maybe, um, looking at inspirational content recipes, things like that, you know, within interest or within Facebook or Instagram. Um, and they may want to buy it right then and there, you know, they may want to say, I want this recipe. I want it delivered to my house. This is great. You know? So I think that that, yeah, any of the campaigns that we've done in social have really been my favorites.
0: Cool. So you mentioned integrating commerce into social media. How are you all taking that initiative on yourself? Or are you more relying on the platforms to kind of develop the solutions to then tap into? Like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, we are relying on platforms. Um, You know, obviously, uh, we have to, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, you know, still in this area. It's a little trickier for a supermarket because, you know, you're not going to buy just a tomato. Yeah.
0: I need that tomato from Stop and Shop.
1: Right. It's so not like when you see a pair of shoes on Instagram and you have to have them. Um, you know, you don't really have to have that tomato on Instagram, but you may want that full recipe. So, you know, making sure that there's enough content that is actually worthwhile to the customer, I think is the is the challenge. And, mm-hmm. and that's what my team is trying to figure out right now. Got it.
0: When I'm thinking about commerce for social media, like has Stop and Shop explored, and maybe you guys already have this, um, like, your own products where it's like you can only get it from here it's not a generic brand it's actually like i mean that reminds me a lot of what trader joe says it's like if i want yeah. this one well they discontinued this prune juice that i really loved i sound yeah <laughs> like an old lady <laughs> i love their prune juice they discontinued it <laughs> <laughs> anyways like i knew that they were the only ones that i liked it and like i that's the only one i wanted to have and so have you explored something like that of creating certain things that will be top of mind where it's like stop and Shop is the only one that actually has this kind of recipe or this quality of Whatever it may be,
1: prune juice. <laughs> yes, actually, in fact, we have um, our own line, Nature's Promise, um, mm-hmm. is a proprietary line um, across the whole uh, Delhaze brands, um, and you know we have our, our private label brand, of course, and then we have Taste of Inspirations, which is um, you know a really nice higher end uh, private label brand for us, and we are definitely doing more within that space. Um, you know, integrating with Go Rewards with our our new program. You know, when you buy a recipe that is all nature's promise ingredients, you earn extra go points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have these recipes called take five that we're featuring within social media. And you know, we've got them in our circular and in other areas, um, you know, and if it's all our taste of inspiration products, um, you know, you earn X amount of go points. So we have a lot of those types of promotions that we're doing now. And um, that's definitely what we'll be integrating more into our social media um, commerce platforms in the future.
0: Very cool. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of interesting opportunities too, as you're now exploring, or you have this new e-commerce platform to get new data and see what people really like and, you know, what's maybe like swaying them to buy one thing versus the other. It seems like there's a not a lot of opportunity that'll come up around building new, you know, offerings that maybe you wouldn't have thought
1: of otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you look at um, meal solutions, that's definitely really important to our customers right now. There's so many families that are just so busy, um, you know, and providing meal solutions, even, you know, a a night or, you know, a couple nights or a week of meal solutions is such a huge time savings for a lot of families. Yes. I feel that with three boys now, like
0: anything to not have to cook from scratch would be much appreciated. I don't care if it's frozen, whatever it is, if it's edible, it's cool. So, where does personalization come into play for you guys? Like, how do you think about showing offerings throughout your e-commerce experience or your apps that, you know, really connects with the person who's looking, looking there?
1: Well, personalization is vital to your success. So, you know, I think, um, you know, whether or not we get it right 100% of the time, you know, I think is, is something that, um, uh, you know, remains to be seen. I think we have made some huge advances in personalization, um, you know, with the new platform, you know, with with our program, Um, The more data we have about a consumer's, you know, shopping behavior, you know, what they like, the better the offerings that we'll be able to give them. So, um, you know, if, if I purchase Doritos all the time, hopefully I'm not getting a offer for something else, you know, Lay's potato chips, I should be getting offers for Doritos. Mm-hmm. Um, so that relevancy is, is really, really important. Um, and that's something with this new program that we're providing customers, whether it's through product coupons, uh, which today, now when I look in my my coupon gallery on my app, I have like six products that are relevant to what I purchase every week, which is really great. Um, so I know the algorithm is working correctly. Um, but then on top of that, we also have more of those category offers. So if I'm somebody that always buys fresh produce. Now we 're actually doing more of the you know five dollars off your purchase when out of fresh produce um, you know more of those category uh, you know offers that are relevant to what i what I purchase every day I think it's it's incredibly important and then throughout the e-commerce journey this is really where i'd like to see us you know make some some improvements it's on recommendation engine type of, of, um, of logic so you know if i'm putting a pizza dough in my basket on on you know my e-commerce platform. Then hopefully somebody's going to be recommending some mozzarella and pizza sauce to me. Mm-hmm. That type of a level of personalization, um, you know, is is something that we strive for and we definitely want in the future. Um, we have some degree of that today, um, but that's certainly where I, you know I expect that we'll be going in the near future.
0: Very cool. So when it comes to those recommendations, are there any tools that you're relying on to build that out, or is it like everything you're doing custom or how's that working behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, the recommendation engine actually is homegrown. So that's where our partner, that's our internal partner um, actually has been using all of the data from the loyalty program and understanding what customers buy, um, you know, and there's uh, propensity models that we have in place. So, you know, somebody who, who has the same profile, you know, who typically purchases XYZ, you know, we actually build a model to say, here are look-alike customers and here's what we should recommend to them because it looks like that customer is similar. So they may be interested in these types of products. And that's something that our internal uh, data scientists have been able to build out for us.
0: That's great. Is there anything um, when it comes to machine learning or like, you know, the world of data that you guys have access to that you're maybe preparing for or different capabilities that you're building out right now that maybe other grocers or other e-commerce stores are maybe a little bit behind on um,
1: yes there there definitely are at the Ahold Hayes level um, so i think that you know ai and and you know certainly um, you know machine learning is is something that everybody's going to have to you know be prepared to to work on in the in the near future or to be prepared to have have teams working on that in the near future and Ahold Hayes does Stop and Shop um, as a brand doesn't, but at the Ajo Delhaize level, we do. Yeah, very cool. And do they usually like come up with something at
0: the higher level and implement it within all of their stores? Or do they kind of test it out and say, okay, Stop and Shop, like you're gonna pilot this and we'll learn from you and then we'll you know have our other brands
1: try it as well. Or how does That's, that work? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I see a big trend in experimentation and learning done um, with artificial intelligence, natural language processing, mm-hmm. the first steps into, you know, conversational commerce and customer service. Um, I think individually, each of those is interesting, but when you string it together, it becomes really compelling. And AI is now being given enough tr- enough transactional information. Um, and when combined with data science can match and predict customer behavior at a level not previously possible, So, natural language processing and conversational tools really make it possible to help customers during the purchase journey, and even more importantly, um, in many aspects of customer service. So, these previously somewhat academic technologies are being put in the hands of digital commerce managers, and we'll begin to see the results. So, I fully expect that, you know, within the next uh, couple of years, what we're testing at a whole Delhi's level, um, you know, will be brought down to each of the brands. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it seems like there could be um, an interesting that you would get interesting results from the different brands because I could see very different consumers who are maybe shopping, you know, at good old Giant, I'm on back in Maryland you're right. versus Yes, stop you're and absolutely shop. right. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you approach that when you're, you know, trying out different things and maybe you're like, "Oh, we see this with our customers at um, Stop and Shop and, you know, let's try this at another brand and you're like, "Wow, womp, womp, that actually failed at that brand because the consumers <laughs> are so different." <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great call out. And I say that all the time. I say, you know, what, what matters to somebody, um, in the food lion base. So, you know, what matters to somebody, maybe in North Carolina is different. What matters to somebody in New York city. So we have probably the toughest competitive market, Mm -hmm. not only, um, from a grocery retail perspective, but even just from a media perspective and, you know, trying to ensure that our voice is heard, um, you know, within these, these difficult, tough media markets. For stop and shop, it really, it's, it's a little bit tricky. And we do have to take a look at every single opportunity that comes our way and say, does this resonate with this consumer base? You know, because a lot of times it won't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There, there were a couple of examples of, uh, of trying out even just a walk-up pickup service. So, you know, you, you can, and in a, in a city location, you know, you can walk to get your groceries handed to you. Uh, that have already been, been shopped for you versus the traditional pickup where we load it to your car. That doesn't work everywhere, obviously. So yeah. that'll work in the suburbs. It really only works in urban locations. Yep. Each brand does have an option to, to opt out if it's not something that resonates within their base. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, i try and implement that in New York City and all of a sudden all these cars are getting towed and then they're mad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> So to uh, go a little higher level, I wanted to talk about general e-commerce themes and trends, and wanted to hear what kind of disruptions do you see coming to commerce that are not just from COVID or not just COVID? Because I think a lot of people in here are like, oh, COVID's the big disruption. Like, what else do you see happening in the world of e-commerce that's maybe coming down the pipe right now?
1: Um, I mean, one that's that's already here really is one-stop shopping, mm-hmm. like Amazon. So the retailers who adapt and um, constantly expand their options, shorten the supply chain, enhance customer service, and develop varied options for delivery and pick up really find the most success. So, mm-hmm. you know, the model that Amazon has and, and Wayfair, you know, the direct con- to consumer shipping is not as much of a, a disruption to e-commerce. as it, it is. That's here to stay. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to learn um, from that and we have to adapt in order to stay competitive. And I think a lot of retailers are going to have to adapt, you know, in this new world. Everybody's going to have to be able to figure out how to provide that one-stop shop because it's similar to, um, you know, to brick and mortar shopping. You don't want to go to multiple locations on a Saturday afternoon. It's sort of the same thing. If you're going to pay for shipping, you're going to pay for it once, you know, from one retailer or get free shipping, of course, you know, with a subscription service or promotion. And, you know, I think that that's definitely here to stay. Mm-hmm. and um the ease of finding everything in one place is that it's that big box retail mentality from you know back in the 80s when when uh, the big box retailers really exploded
0: yep and all that yeah figuring out delivery and trying to compete with amazon man that seems like very very tough <laughs> because people, very like, tough consumers have very high expectations now of what they want and Yeah. Seem like they are quick to get upset if it's not one, two day shipping and, oh, it can't be here within two hours. Okay. I'm just going to
1: cancel the order. Right. Exactly. And you know, oh, you don't have all the other things I need too. I I need, you know, my, my face lotion and my bread. Wait, you don't have that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why would you not have that right next to each other? (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, this has been awesome. Is there anything that I missed that you wanted to highlight before we jump into the lightning round? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, cool. Well, I will uh, pull us into the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Uh-oh. Rachel? Done. Oh <laughs> All right. First one. What does the best day in the office look like for you?
1: Well, the best day in the office today is being is at home. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what does
0: your virtual best day look like?
1: <laughs> my virtual best day um is when I actually have time between meetings to go get something to eat. Oh perfectly <laughs>
0: that is actually a big problem I've heard from a lot of my um old coworkers and talking about their whole day is now filled with meetings that maybe would have taken just a couple minutes to like have a quick catch up and instead it's like, okay, 30 minute slots uh, to discuss maybe like one question, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and struggle. you wind up going, you know, you use your hour to the fullest extent and you don't, you're not moving around from meeting room to meeting room anymore. So you're literally just sitting at your desk all day. So my best day is, is when I actually have a break to get up and go get something to eat because food is important to me.
0: Well, that <laughs> seems like a crucial part of the day, so. <laughs> I yes, guess. What's up next on your Netflix queue?
1: That's a great question. I've actually blown through almost everything. Um, And what was your most recent then? Um, I just watched uh, the Elena Elena Holmes.
0: I'm watching that now. It's so cute. Excellent. I loved it. It was
1: really great. I love Millie Bobby Brown. I think she's fantastic.
0: Yeah, she was really good. Highly recommend that one. What's up next on your travel destinations when you can travel again? Oh, gosh, I want to go to Scotland so badly. Oh, fun. What do you want to go there for?
1: Um, I, you know, I just I want to golf. I love, um, you know, the the uh, the countryside, you know, just looks amazing, beautiful. Uh, I want to go hiking there. So I just I have a lot of um, grand plans for Scotland and Ireland, too, as well. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about
0: and who would your first guest be?
1: Uh, it would definitely be about true crime because I'm obsessed with true crime, which I know everybody is right now, but nice. I really do find it fascinating. And I always have. I wasn't, yeah. This isn't just a fad, you know, for me. I've always really liked it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you started it. Everyone else followed.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm a trendsetter, you know, of course.
0: Yes. And who would your guest be then?
1: Would it be um, a serial killer? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would love <laughs> to interview a serial killer. I just want to know what goes on. You know, I I, I want to get deep. For sure, it would be a serial killer. Name anyone.
0: All right. I mean, I would listen to that. I hope they're behind bars when that happens. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. I could, I could do the interview behind bars for sure. There you go. And if you were to um, pick a virtual event right now for your team, or if you already had one that you've done recently, what would it be that you think is engaging in these
1: times? I think you know. there's, there's a, um, a women's conference coming up in Boston um, that I would love for my team to attend. Um, I just attended a, a women's leadership conference that was really amazing. Um, it was very inspirational, you know, even virtually, I was, I was really surprised um, at how well done it was and how just um, thought provoking mm-hmm. a virtual, uh, you know, conference could be. It was really fantastic. Cool. That sounds
0: awesome. All right. And then the last one, um, what is a, a favorite app on your phone right now that you're loving?
1: So this is, this is bad, but, um, I have the carrot app, which I don't know if you know, carrot is a weather app. No, I actually don't. (laughs) It's a weather app that actually gives you a really sarcastic, snarky message every day when you, when you open it up. Oh my gosh, (laughs)
0: that's (laughs) great. I like that. That's really good. Well, Rachel, this has been such a fun interview. Where can people find out more about you and stop and shop?
1: So um, StopAndShop.com, StopAndShop app and me, uh, my LinkedIn profile. So uh, Rachel Stevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you very
0: much for having me. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.
2: Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.